Individualism has so perverted the culture and the culture has so perverted the church that the churches are increasingly rejecting the will and command of the Lord. How can you do that when the Word of God is so crystal clear? Welcome to Grace to You with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. In a day when women are told to speak their minds and fight for their rights, it's no surprise that women would take on the traditionally male role of church pastor. They might argue, why should an intelligent, articulate woman be kept out of the pulpit? Shouldn't knowledge of the Bible and the ability to communicate biblical truth be the only qualification for someone to lead a congregation? John MacArthur considers those questions today as he delivers a message he recently preached at his home church titled, Does the Bible Permit a Woman to Preach? And with that message now, here's John. Go back to 1 Timothy 2. So women are called to modesty, discretion, good works, godliness. And what does that look like? It means that they quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, entire submissiveness. But I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. That is so absolute. It's unbending. No preaching, no teaching, no leading position in the church. You say, well, that's again, this is quirky Paul. Is this just Paul? No. Look at verse 13. This was designed by God. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. This is the divine order. It was Adam who was first created and then Eve. God created Adam. He was alone. He took a rib out of Adam. He made a woman, and the woman was to be Adam's helper. But not only was this God's creative design, it was basically affirmed in the fall. Verse 14, it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is a very severe warning, very severe warning. A woman out from under the protection of her head is vulnerable because of typical women's sensibilities, passions and compassion, because of their tendencies toward kindness and mercy and care, they become more vulnerable when unprotected. That is, that is a reality today that is in no short supply being exhibited by the vast number of women running around single who have neither a father nor a husband to protect them from deception. But the role of women in this authority-submission partnership was designed by God in creation and confirmed in the fall. What happened was Eve got out from under the protection of Adam. She was vulnerable. She was deceived. Adam was not deceived. He basically ate willingly. Why? She sinned because she was deceived by Satan. He sinned because he couldn't live without her. Do you understand that? She had become everything to him. And when the roles are reversed, the women are deceived, bad things happen, the men are made weak, worse things happen. The whole human race went down with Adam. You tamper with this order, chaos is unending. So where does that leave women? 
So if men are in charge of everything, where does that leave us? Verse 15, 1 Timothy 2.15, but women will be, and the Greek verb here is sozo, which means saved. It's the very word for saved, like spiritually saved. Women will be saved through the bearing of children. There's the balance, right? You get to have the babies. You get to nurse the babies. You get to hold them in your arms. You get to spend every day with them. You get to nurture them. You get to develop them. That's your marvelous privilege. In reality, there is a depth of influence at that level that no man will ever have with his children. Now what does it mean she'll be saved through the bearing of children? I remember when I was in Bucharesti, Romania some years ago, there was a pastor's conference. There were about twelve or 1,500 pastors and their wives in this church, and they wanted, after I spoke a lot, they wanted to have a Q&A. So uh, the, one of the guys asked the question, what does this mean, women will be saved through childbearing? And I said, well, you just blurted out, well, of course it doesn't mean spiritual salvation. It doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven if you have babies. You know, you don't get eternal life by having babies. And all of a sudden the room got just dead flat. It was like somebody sucked out all the oxygen. And I could see confusion on the faces of men and women. And the moderator sitting next to me said, uh, you just dropped a bomb. Because, you know, in our theology, you can lose your salvation. And one way a woman would lose her salvation, they had been taught, was by doing anything to prevent a pregnancy. So that's how they misinterpreted that. That's why they all had 15 kids. And these poor beleaguered women, and they're looking at their husbands saying, you had to be wrong about that verse? <laughs> of all the options possible, couldn't you have been wrong about, like, sprinkling or something? So I spent the next twenty minutes sorting that out, and then those dear people, of course, they wouldn't want to reverse anything because they loved their children, and even with a faulty theology, they had done what godly women do. They had brought children into the world. When Eve stepped out from under the authority and protection of Adam, she was vulnerable and she fell. And Adam, bound by his heart to her, abandons his own authority and becomes weaker and plunges the whole human race into corruption. Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. If we stay in the order that God has designed us, everybody flourishes. Men and women, by the way, as a result of the fall, are equally sinful. Adam needed Eve so much, he sinned willfully. We get that. We need you. The leadership of men, though, it was established in the creation and reaffirmed in the fall. No daughter of Eve should follow her path into forbidden territory of going out from under her authority, her God-given authority, and trying to live independently. You're too much danger abounds. Actually, all human relationships are built on authority and submission. You would know that, right? You have a job. You get it, right? Authority and submission, somebody's in charge. Women are saved, go back again, by bearing of children, literally in the Greek, begetting children. This is the woman's high calling. If this is important. If those women continue in faith and love and sanctity or sanctification with self-restraint, 
Here we go again. Women are constantly being told, get a grip on yourself, be submissive, subject yourself, have some self-restraint because the impulse of your fallenness is to overpower your husband. And there's reason for that, because your husband's not perfect and you can find a lot of reasons that you'd like to get power, right? A woman's high calling is to save herself from the stigma of the fall. She led the race into sin by being deceived. How does she reverse that? How does her life count for something good when it was a woman who led the whole race into, into sin? A woman reverses that by raising godly children. This is the highest and most influential life possible. Now, I understand that God doesn't want every woman to be married. There's a gift of singleness Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7. And sometimes there are married couples that the Lord doesn't give children. But as a general principle, this is the high calling of women. Have children. Pour your soul and your life into those children. And that is the greatest of all influences. Meanwhile, back at the church, chapter 3, verse 1, it's a trustworthy statement, and everybody knows this. If a man aspires to the office of overseer or pastor, elder, it's a fine work he desires to do. Meanwhile, men are in charge of the church. And an overseer, pastor, elder must be above reproach, must be a one-woman man, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. And here it comes, verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well. Just as he manages the household, that's the proving ground for him to be able to be given responsibility in the church. Because the next verse says, verse 5, if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Since men are called by God to manage the house, they are in being qualified to do that, qualified to, rent, to, to be managing the church. No woman is the head of a house. No woman can be the head of a church. Now somebody's going to say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 11? So let's look at that. Now so far, it's, it's abundantly clear what Scripture says about life in the church as regards women preachers. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the very same book, without any confusion, Paul says in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 11, 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. The man is the head of a woman. God is the head of Christ. God's the head of Christ. Christ the head of the man. The man the head of the woman. That's the order. That's the divine order. That's how it has to be. And then he says this, every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Well, that's a strange kind of thing. What's going on here? In the course of life as believers, there will be times when women pray. Obviously, they're not in doing it in the church, in the order of the church, in the service of the church. We've, that's crystal clear. I showed you everywhere it says that. But in the fellowship of the saints and in the opportunity to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, give testimony, there are going to be times in homes, in social gatherings or whatever that women are, are going to be praying. That's going to happen. And a great host, the Old Testament says a great host are the women who publish the good news. So all of us, men and women, are called to, to pray 
Uh, we're to be praying for people. We're to be praying together with people. Uh, we're, we're to be communicating the truth of the gospel. We're to be nurturing one another, speaking to one another in edifying ways. Paul says when you're doing that in just the normal life of the church, um, men don't want to have something on their head. Women do. He's talking about a, a head covering. This is apparently a, a local custom. I don't know how far it extended, but, but I'll show you how important it is. If a man has something on his head, when that is traditionally what women do, then a man is acting in an effeminate way, and he is doing some kind of spiritual praying or proclaiming the truth, but he's got a covering on his head, he's dishonoring his, his Lord and himself. Because in that culture, women wore head coverings and men did not. So if a woman uncovers her head while praying or prophesying, she disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. What women shave their head? Lesbians, prostitutes, sometimes they shave the head of adulteresses. In other words, what Paul is saying, when you act as a believer in any setting publicly, maintain the visible symbols of your manhood and womanhood. We live in a culture where they're trying to rub that out, right? Where androgynous hairdos and androgynous clothes and who knows what that person is, transgender, rejecting the reality of gender. All of this is a complete assault on God's divine order. All these kind of rebellions were part of the ancient world. Paul is just saying, look, as a believer, you need to make sure people know you're a man or you're a woman. If you didn't know that was under attack in the past, you would know it today, would you not? A man with a head covering was effeminate. A woman without a head covering was masculine. Symbols are important. Our culture has popularized fashions that blur those lines. When you go shopping, guys, go to the men's department. <laughs> and if you can't tell whether you're in the men's department or not, go somewhere else. <laughs> ladies, go to the ladies' department. No place for transvestism, cross-dressing, gender confusion. When a woman dressed in socially female style, she was declaring her understanding of God's order. She was declaring her understanding of the divine uniqueness of being a woman, and she was testifying to her submission to that divine design and her submission and devotion to her husband. And for a Christian, further, she was declaring her devotion to Jesus Christ. But, but as is clear in this letter, the Corinthians had a hard time separating from their former lifestyle, and they needed to be instructed to do this. Head coverings aren't the issue. Wearing those symbols that clearly designate you as a woman, that's an issue. Wearing those kinds of symbols that clearly declare you as a man, that's an issue. And this is God's design. Verse 7, anything other than that is disgraceful. Verse 6 says, verse 7 says, a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God and the woman is the glory of man. God is the creator of man out of nothing. God is the creator of woman out of man. 
the man's glory is in the image of God. The woman is that she is created by God from man. A man doesn't originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. In other words, keep these distinctions clear, authority, submission. And culture so clearly recognizes this that all cultures have those kinds of distinctive marks. And then this, verse 10, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. What? What does that mean? The most submissive, the most holy submissive creatures in the universe are the angels, right? What are the angels? They're ministering spirits, right? Who serve the Lord constantly. So they are the, they are the purest and highest of all submissive creatures. And when women demonstrate their submission, they put their obedience on display to that most submissive of all creatures, the holy angels. How disappointing it must be for angels to look down and see rebellious women trying to usurp leadership, preaching roles, overpower their husbands. Wherever you have that kind of woman, you have weak husbands. Wherever you have a collection of those kinds of people in leadership, you have weak men. Wherever you have weak men, you have the inevitable destruction of whatever that entity is. Back to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's talk spiritually, though. Verse 11, however, in the Lord... Now, we're not talking anymore about just sexual distinctions here. But in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. So what he's saying there is, spiritually, we're mutually dependent. I mean, at the base of life, we're mutually dependent. So this isn't making one less than the other. These are just God-ordained roles. And in the Lord, that's why Galatians 3.28 says, and there is neither male nor female in Christ. You're all one in Him. Spiritually speaking, we're all one. There's no hierarchy. So verse 13, he asked the question, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? No. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her. For her hair is the testimony to the covering that symbolizes her submission. You don't like this? Verse 16, if one is inclined to be contentious, is that you? We have no other practice, sorry, nor have the churches of God. There's that phrase again. This is it for every church in every place all the time. We have no other practice. This takes us back to 1 Corinthians 14.33, the universal standard for all the churches of all the saints. Now let me, let me give you a perspective, okay? Humanity is made up of families by God's design. And where God-ordained families are strong, you have a strong culture, you have a strong church. The relations in those families follow into society and you have an ordered society. Those relations follow into the church, and you have an ordered church. Men lead, feed, protect, provide, 
women support and nurture, children obey. So the church should be the highest manifestation of that divine order. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 5, as husbands love their wives and wives submit to their husbands, the church is seen in that marriage, because that's the relationship that it has to its Lord. That's, that's God's design. However, the world, particularly the world we live in, is very different. It is not made up of families anymore. It's made up of individuals, individuals. It started some years ago maybe with women making sure they maintained their maiden name in a marriage, so that was sort of a symbol of power. And now it's reached the point where we deny gender exists. Individualism has so perverted the culture and the culture has so perverted the church that the churches are increasingly rejecting the will and command of the Lord. This is not unclear. They have no interest in the honor of the Lord. Rebellious women pastors and preachers flood the church in the roles that were for men. Same thing they're doing in the secular world is being done in the church. How can you do that when the Word of God is so crystal clear? Oh, Paul anticipates how they could do that. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 35, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. That puts a burden on the, on the husband to be the teacher. But then verse 36, why would you defy this? Was it from you that the Word of God first went forth? Well, that is just sarcasm. Did you write the Bible? Was it from you that the Word of God went? Are you the source of divine truth? Because if you defy this, you're acting as if you are God and you have overruled the revelation of God because you're a higher authority. Or maybe, more sarcasm, or has it come to you only? You had a private revelation. I see. Jesus came to you. and Jesus told you to do this. You're getting private revelation. As that most famous woman preacher says, I didn't surrender to a calling of man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. It never occurs to me for a second not to fulfill it. I will follow Jesus. Jesus tells me what to do, really. The only defense is either you're the author of Scripture or you're the author of a higher Scripture than God or you get personal revelation. So here's the last word, verse 37 and 38. If anyone thinks he's a preacher or spiritual, led by the Spirit, pneumaticos, if anybody thinks he's a preacher or spiritual, let him recognize the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. If you don't recognize what I've just written as the Lord's commandment, you are neither a preacher nor spiritual. Verse 38, if anyone does not recognize what I've written as the Lord's command, he is not recognized. If you don't recognize the command of God, we don't recognize you as a preacher or a spiritual person. What Paul wrote is the Lord's command. Violate that command and you're not a preacher and you're not spiritual. You're a fraud. The Word of God is clear. Yeah. 
That's John MacArthur here on Grace to You. John is chancellor of the Masters University and Seminary. Today's lesson answered this question, does the Bible permit a woman to preach? Now, John, you've made it clear and you've stressed it many times that just because women are not called to preach, that doesn't somehow mean that they're inferior. The fact is, they are gifted to serve the church and their families in unique and indispensable ways. But of course, understanding that unique role and embracing it can be two different things, especially when the spirit of age is encouraging women to be leaders wherever they can. Yeah, and look, this goes back to the whole purpose of Satan. God designs authority and submission. The man is the head of the home. The woman follows, submits to her husband. He loves her. She loves him. It's a perfect combination. The man leads. The man rules. The man provides. The woman nurtures. The woman influences. The woman loves the children. The woman provides a haven for the husband, a a spiritual haven for the children. She reaches out to care for people. This is the beauty of God's design. And of course, because that kind of family passes on righteousness to the next generation, that kind of family leads to civilization. It leads to a civil society where people understand authority and submission, where they understand love and care and nurturing. When nobody is at home nurturing and nobody is at home caring for the family, nobody is sacrificing herself as a godly mother would for her husband and for her children. They don't know what sacrifice is. When everybody's out to fulfill his own agenda, the the husband goes to build his career, the woman goes to build her career. This communicates a horrific message to the children who are the victims of this, and the next generation has no idea what a family's supposed to be, and we're living that out in our society. So, when women do what God designed them to do, not only is God honored and glorified and righteousness passed on from believing parents to the next generation, but even the culture benefits by the stability that produces, and you raise disciplined, submissive, well-socialized children, not a bunch of delinquents. So, When Satan can get an entire culture to make women think that their fulfillment is outside the home, he has literally created the demise of that society, of that civilization. And I would just like to remind all of you who are listening that uh, I wrote a book a number of years ago, and its title is The Fulfilled Family. This book is based on the most in-demand study series that we have ever done in Grace to Use history the fulfilled family. We took the material from the fulfilled family, which is still available. You can download the whole series of the fulfilled family, but we took the material from that series and put it into a simple handbook that distills the heart of what Scripture teaches about the most essential of all earthly institutions, the family. The fulfilled family, you can order it today. And do order it. This book is a quick read, but it touches on critical truth for the family, helping you answer questions like, how can I better serve my spouse? And how can I point my kids to Christ? To order The Fulfilled Family, contact us today. The Fulfilled Family is reasonably priced and shipping is free. It's a great resource to give to newlyweds or someone preparing for marriage. And you can order by phone. Dial toll-free 800-55-GRACE or order your copy at our website, gty.org. And if you have a Bible question that you haven't found an answer for, the Grace to You Sermon Archive can be a great help. You'll find it at gty.org. 3,500 sermons covering every verse of the New Testament, as well as many parts of the Old. 
You'll also find answers to questions on nearly 75 biblical topics like the Great Commission, election, heaven and hell, evangelism, and much, much more. Again, all of those resources are free at gty.org. That website, one more time, gty.org. Now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace To You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Keep in mind, you can watch Grace To You television this Sunday on DirecTV Channel 378, or check your local listing for Channel and Times, and then be here tomorrow as we honor moms and motherhood from a biblical perspective. John's focus, Hannah, a godly mother. Don't miss the next half hour of Unleashing God's Truth, one verse at a time, on Grace To You.